In today's episode, we're going to talk about the five mistakes that most sellers make. Have you made one of these mistakes? Let's find out. With over 50 years of real estate experience, the team at Powell Fine Homes have dedicated our careers to taking care of our clients, ensuring that they get the best possible results and service when they engage us to represent them. From first-time home buyers to multi-million dollar home sellers, from regular sales to short sales and foreclosures, we've seen it all and educated our clients along the way. As broker owners, we have serious visibility into the Los Angeles and Ventura County real estate markets and are about to share some of what we're seeing with you right now. Get ready for the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. Today we're going to be talking about five mistakes that most sellers make. My name is Richard Powell. I'm the host of the show. I'm also a licensed California real estate broker and part of the team at the Powell Fine Homes Group with Keller Williams Westlake Village, also known as Keller Williams Realty World Class. So let's talk about five mistakes that most sellers make. And, you know, first and foremost is price. There's no if, ands, or but about it. This is the number one reason that homes don't sell is that they are overpriced. Number two is condition of a home. Number three is bad marketing. Marketing is not part of the seller's concern, so we're going to focus today on pricing, condition, and a couple other things. So, overpricing the home. How does that happen? One of the things is that the sellers ignore current market trends. They look at what homes sold for last summer, last spring, whenever the uh, best case scenario could be. So it's very difficult, especially right now. I'm recording this in uh, January of 2019. We're in a shifting market right now. When they go back and write about the current real estate cycle we're in, or the the last one we came out of that we're still coming out of, they're going to say about July 2018 for Southern California, specifically for Los Angeles and Ventura counties, is when the markets came out of the red-hot seller's market that we've been in for the last three and a half years and started going back towards a more balanced equilibrium-style market. You know, if you go back to, uh, you know, a year ago, February, we had, you know, two and a half, three weeks worth of inventory on hand. It was almost nothing out here in, in the Conejo Valley in Ventura County. And then, you know, if you look at today's stats, we're at four and a half going up on five months of inventory, which is getting close to a what we consider a healthy, balanced market. You know, six months of inventory is the historical norm for a balanced market that is, you know, equally buyers or sellers and things like that. But for, since we've had the last three and a half years of just red-hot seller's market where you had multiple offers on everything, homes are going up 5, 7, 10, 12%, you know, it's just multiple offers everywhere. It's just a, a, a crazed situation for three and a half years now. There hadn't been enough inventory. There was far more buyers and we had houses for sale. So everybody got used to that. And now that it's changing and it's backing off, we got more inventory. It's taking longer to sell homes. The appreciation's not what it was. Uh, it's very, very easy to over your pri- overprice your home far more so than it was even four or five months ago. So when we talk about overpricing, you really have to be, both as a seller, and I'm, I'm focusing on the seller because even though the real estate agent's involved in the real estate agent lists the home, ultimately the seller is the one who drives the price. A realtor can say, oh, no, you should do this, you should do this, we think it should sell at this point. But the seller says, nope, I want to sell it for this, and that's what we go out on the market for. You know, the downside of that for the real estate agents is it looks like they don't know what they're doing on a pricing standpoint, but ultimately the sellers do set the pricing. So with that out of the way, how does it happen? It happens by sellers ignoring current market trends. You know, they look for the most expensive 
house closest in square footage to their house. And they say, well, that one sold for this, so mine's worth this. And sometimes that's true, but more often than it's not, because you have to look at, okay, what kind of upgrades did they have? Did they have better flooring? Did they have a better location? Did they have a better view? Did they have a pool you don't? You know, did they upgrade the kitchen, the bathrooms, and you haven't? There's all these things that go into it. You know, it's human nature to want to get the absolute highest dollar amount you can get out of a sale. I get it. I want to be the same way. And, you know, it's, you can't argue it. Everybody wants to get the most out of their, their home when they sell it. But the reality is buyers are not idiots for the vast majority of them anyway. They know what homes are worth. They, they usually, when they, by the time, especially in this market, when there's enough inventory, there's four and a half, five months worth of inventory, they have seen other homes before they've seen yours. So they, you know, with, even when we take a first-time buyer out, once they've seen six or seven homes in a certain price band, they start getting a gut-level feel for what homes are worth. So they're going to know, like, gosh, I just saw four other homes that are the same general size as this home, and they're asking an extra $40,000. I don't see it. I don't want to fight with this guy. I'm going to go look at another house. So, you know, you can't ignore the current market trends. Perfect example is the Case Shiller uh, real estate report just came out for November. And for the Los Angeles Metro, the the median price increase from November 2017 to 2018 was up 5.5%, which is good news to say, hey, great, that's, you know, I'm up 5.5% from last year, I love it. So I should be worth 5.5% more than the last house it sold. And it's not, it's not how it works, because when you drill down into the report and you look at the October 2018 difference to November 2018, just the month over month instead of the year over year, it was 0.1%, which means that all of those increases were front-loaded into the first two quarters of the year, in, you know, late winter, early spring, very early summer. And then, you know, it slowed down drastically from that. And right now, I, I will, I'll be shocked if the uh, December report doesn't come back flat. And when they get to January, which is still, you know, two or three months out from now, uh, at least the report is, it'll either be flat or maybe even show some contraction at this point. We'll see. But... You really have to pay attention to local mar current market trends and not use the absolute best case scenario. Now, if your house is the nicest house in the neighborhood and you've upgraded it far more than anybody else has, and there's no question about that, different conversation completely. But by and large, what we see more often than not is that people whose homes have not been upgraded across the board where every room has been done, every bathroom has been done, the kitchen's been done, all the flooring's done, the roof is new, uh, you know, the pool's replastered where it's just in total move-in condition. They don't have to do anything other than turn the key, walk in, and move their, their furniture in. Uh, you know, it, there's going to be some kind of delta there. So, you know, you can't go and always use the best-case scenario because the buyers know better. And another thing that we see, not so much today, but we used to see it all the time, was that sentimental value would start trumping market value. They're, you know, like, I raised my kids here, or we hand-painted all the walls, or, you know, just things that mean something to the seller... And I certainly understand that, but the buyers, it's not going to translate to the buyer, and they're not going to pay extra for it. So if they're not going to pay extra for it, but you're trying to price as if they will, you're going to spend a lot more time in the market. So that's point number one, overpricing. Point number two is that we see a lot of sellers spending money on the wrong things before they go to market. I've actually lost track at this point of how many times I have seen a listing appointment where we go down and somebody says, oh, look at all these things we've done. And it, it's just things they're not, not only are they not going to make their money back, they're going to lose money on it. And it could be something that's really personalized. Sometimes, 
you know, some of the things we've seen that were over-personalized were giant murals on walls. We've seen where somebody changed. They wanted a huge kitchen, so they literally took not only the kitchen, but also part of the dining room and then converted the formal living room into the dining room so now the house didn't have a living room and it had this gigantic kitchen. So the only people who would want to buy it going forward would be people who want giant kitchens, and most people don't. I mean, everybody wants a big kitchen, but they don't want it to be massive to the point where they feel they have to entertain 25 people every night to justify the size of the kitchen. So you want to look at that. Kirsten and I have a philosophy on improving a home as you go into market. If you can't make money on the money you're investing, like literally get more than that, if you put a dollar into it, if you're not making more than a dollar on that investment, don't make it. If it's not going to shorten the length of time you stay on market, don't make it. Those are our two rules. We, there's nothing worse than saying, okay, do this, this, and this, and somebody spends $10,000 and they only make $8,000 on the $10,000 they invested and they've lost $2,000. We'd much rather just price the home a little bit lower for the condition that it's currently in so it matches market value. Go forward from there. So, you know, don't make highly personalized changes. And then the other problem that we run into is that people partially improve homes. And what that means is maybe they did one bathroom or maybe they did the kitchen or maybe they did part of the kitchen, but it's not completely done. And the problem there is that the, the buyers, when they're looking at it, they see homes where nothing's been done. They just, then they know going into it, they have to do everything or they see homes where everything's done. They don't have to do anything. And then when you start seeing the homes in the middle where maybe it has new counters, but they didn't upgrade the appliances in the kitchen, or maybe the master bathroom's just spectacular but the guest bedroom and the hall bath, they haven't been touched and they're still 25 years old and the kitchen's still 25 years old. So you have to have a strategy as you do your home improvements. And if you haven't finished everything, that's fine, but you need to price according to it. Okay, so let's go to number three. And that would be ignoring reality in regards to the condition of your home. Now, this is a constant battle for us. We, we see this far more often than we like to, but it's, it is what it is. It's, it's common. It's not just people we list. It's everybody. We see it on homes that are not flips or not seriously remodeled. There's always going to be some kind of deferred maintenance, and it's just it's on a scale. You know, is it, is it a huge thing? You know, for example, roofs are not supposed to leak. That's one. But, but, you know, there's also ones that are, that one's not readily apparent unless it's raining. So let's talk about some deferred maintenance that can cost you money and cost you a sale even. So buyer pulls up to the curb. Let's say you got roots pulling up your sidewalk, you got peeling paint, you got hanging gutters, your roof shot where the, the shingles are, are, are curling up, or if you have a tile roof, there's missing tiles. Buyers see all these things when they're walking up. You walk up and the realtor can't get the door open or he's struggling to get the door open because the lock's stuck. It's, you know, it hasn't been uh, oiled or adjusted to where it opens easily and smoothly. Or another one we see a lot is when the hinges on the door have not been oiled in forever. And you open the door and it's like the, the, the crypt guy. Actually, I think I got a gate like that. You know, and when, that, when it sounds like that, the buyer's just saying, hmm, if these are the things I can see, what's wrong with the things I can't see? So it's really, really important that you take care of the deferred maintenance. And if you haven't taken care of the deferred maintenance, go back to point number one about pricing. You need to price according to the condition of the house. So, you know, we don't want to see deferred maintenance. 
and buyers are always going to want a discount if they have if they know going into it that oh I got to paint the house I have to do the flooring I have to do the kitchen I have to do the bathroom whatever they're going to have to do all those things they're going to want the discount to offset that number three I'm sorry point C just because you corrected an issue and had to spend money does not make your home more valuable. And when I'm talking about that, let's go back to the roof leak. Houses aren't supposed to have leaking roofs. So even if you spent $12,000 to put a new roof on the house or, or you spent a few thousand dollars to fix a, a leak, the house isn't supposed to leak in the first place, so that's not necessarily something that's adding value. If you do the whole roof, all right, I'll agree. That actually makes the house more valuable. But if you're just doing patches and things like that, you're just meeting the bare standard of not having a leaking roof. Same thing goes with uh, broken windows or cracked windows, stuck locks, leaking faucets. Uh, if you have a pool system, if your pipes are leaking and you spent 100 bucks to have the guy come fix that, that's just that's the expectation. That's the, how, the condition the house should be in when somebody buys it. You know, the AC should be working, the heater, the furnace should be working, garage door opener should come up and down. Uh, you know, all of these things are expectations. They're not upgrades Whereas if you remodel the kitchen or the bathrooms, those increase the value considerably. Fixing things that you hadn't fixed for the last 10 or 15 years just to get ready to the market doesn't make the house more valuable. You're just meeting the bare standards to come onto the market and what buyers would expect the condition of the home to be. All right, so let's go to number four. Not staging your home or at least, at least listening to the realtor about how to make the home look like it was staged. And this certainly does not mean that you have to go out and buy or hire, rather, a staging company to come in and pay them thousands of dollars a month to have high-end furniture or modern-looking furniture, whatever it may be. What this means is that you declutter your house, you, you take your trophies down, take your pictures down, take your collections down. You know, the buyer's not buying your plate collection or your dog collection. They don't care about how many trophies you got. They don't care about, you know, all your family vacations and watching your kids grow up and all that. And I don't say that to be mean because we all love our families. There's no question about that. However, you have to realize when you go to sell your house, you are in essence becoming a retailer. You're selling a product. Your home is now a product that you have on the open market and you're going to sell it. So the focus needs to be on the house, not on the contents. You don't want your furniture all over the place to where the buyer can't see how their furniture would fit. You don't want the buyer distracted about all the wonderful vacations you've been on. They're looking at it and saying, oh, have we been there? Or oh, I'd like to go there or anything like that. You want them focused on them living in the house, of them buying the house, them falling in love with the house. If they're distracted by your 300-piece doll collection or the solid wall of 65 different plates from all over the world, or, you know, name your giant guitar collection. We've seen that before. Those are all very cool things. We all like them. However, when you're selling your house, you need to listen to your realtor. Hopefully they know or they hire a stager, one of the two. You know, how to make it look as good as it possibly can for when the buyers come through so they can see their things being there and they can see themselves living there. It's very normal to take any excess furniture, the pictures down, trophies down, collections down, all those kind of things, repaint walls, all that. And you can put all the excess furniture in your garage or you can call uh, that company Pods, P-O-D-S. They'll come drop a portable container in your driveway. You can fill it up. They'll take it out. They'll put it in a, in a climate-controlled uh, warehouse they have. You'll still have access to it. You call them up uh, with 24-hour notice, then go down there. They'll have your container ready. You can go and get whatever you need out of it and then they'll go put it back up. And they charge you a monthly fee for that. But it's important that 
you do stage the house, whether you're hiring a company to do it or whether you do it yourself or just follow your realtor's lead, but you declutter everything, you take the pictures down. So when the buyers walk in, they see the home in the best possible light. And when I say light, I mean both literally and that the windows are open, uh, the blinds are open, you know, uh, if you have plantation shutters, they're open, just so, you know, the house looks as light and bright and big as humanly possible. All right, and then let's talk about the last mistake we see fairly often, and that is a seller getting emotionally involved in the deal. And it's very hard to not be in, in emotionally involved in a deal with your house because it's your house. You've grown up in it, or your kids have grown up in it. You've lived in it. Most people, we get sometimes buyers, it, it's just an asset. They don't care. But more often than not with sellers, you know, there, there's an emotional attachment to it. We get that. However, we get one of the big uh, mistakes we see, the fifth mistake we're going to talk about that's most common is rejecting offers out of hand. An offer comes in and the seller says, oh, that's so low, I am just, I'm, I'm offended. I can't believe this guy did this, what a jerk. I don't even want to deal with this guy. So that, you know, it, it happens, especially in a shifting market like we're going into and we are in right now, it happens quite a bit. You know, the sellers are, are, are pricing back to last season, last selling season's prices. Buyers are looking at other homes that see that they're actually lower priced or they have more amenities for the same price. And then the seller's like, ah, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm not even going to respond. So, you know, sometimes you have to realize that the first offer you get may be the best offer you're going to see. That's not always the case, but a lot of times there's going to be a buyer out there who's just frustrated by what's been waiting on the market. They haven't seen what they wanted. And, and your house, when you bring it on the market, is exactly what they're looking for. So it's got the right bones, it's got the right space, it's got the right minute, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's the house they've been looking for, but you still have that price delta. They're, they're, they've been looking so hard and so intently that they already have that hyper-local knowledge on value and they know where the house should be. And it, you know, you came on the market, you've been on the market a day or two or three or whatever, you get the first offer and it's lower than what you're asking and you're just like, pfft. You know, I got this offer this quickly. There'll be others. I'm not worried about it. And lo and behold, because that was the most motivated buyer in your neighborhood or in your area or for your size house, that you kick them to the curb and they're gone. And then you wait five, six, seven months. And now you've got, you know, all these extra mortgage payments, insurance payments, property taxes, and all the other carrying costs. It's always better to counter, counter the offer, regardless of whether it's insulting. I mean, the only time I would say don't do that as a rule of thumb, would be with the investors that send the blind offers, that meaning they've never seen the house, they just see you're on the market, and they're coming in 40% under asking. They, they do that all day long. They have people they pay 20 bucks an hour to fill out these forms and send them out. Uh, you know, they probably send out dozens, if not hundreds a day, and they just wait for one to stick. And then they say, okay, and they move forward with there. But, you know, when they come in a couple hundred, three hundred thousand dollars under asking, that you don't need to worry about. But if it's a regular buyer looking for their principal home or a second home or, or a home they're going to use as a rental, but it's not a professional investor, it's worth countering them, setting a counter offer back with your price and see if you guys can't meet in the middle or at least on a, on a number that you can both live with and, and do the exercise for a couple of reasons. A, it gets you through that first offer, even if it's not going to come to fruition. It's good going through it. You get more confident with, uh, or you have a higher understanding of the contract, of the counter offers, of things like that. Your realtor hopefully can explain, uh, you know, why they came in low. Hopefully, their buyer's agent 
con- included a letter and comps as to why they came in low. And it may just make you realize, okay, we really were overpriced. He's not that bad. It's not, I'm not, I guess I'm not that offended after all. Let's go ahead and see if we can put this together, work on that. You know, it just, it's, it's always better to try to work towards a know that you tried to get to the middle on versus just saying, nope, because once you close that door, it's gone. Uh, it, and it's, it's bad for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, you kick the buyer to the curb and nobody else is coming and they come back a second time. They're already going to be in a bad mood, for lack of a better term. Uh, they're going to have a bias against you and, and meaning it's dope. they may come in and get into escrow on a number you can live with, but then spend the rest of the deal trying to get that number back down, whether it be through trying to uh, influence the appraiser to have a lower price, which they usually can't do because the appraiser usually goes to the listing agent, but they might go through the home inspection and come back saying, you know what, there's all these things wrong, I want a $50,000 credit on the house. Whereas if you negotiated you know, in good faith on the front end, if you can't get to a number that makes sense, then you walk away. But if you did negotiate in good faith, you got to a number that made sense on the house, and they still come back trying to get a $50,000 credit, at that point you've got much better ground to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I already gave you the discount on the front end, so you know that's how it is. Unless there's some kind of huge thing that comes up in inspections, like you know you have a foundational issue or the roof has to be replaced or... You know, we're talking things that cost multiple thousands of dollars to fix, and that does need to be addressed, especially if it's a safety issue. So those are the big five that we see most of the time. If there's other ones that you think we've missed that you see more often, let us know. You know, send us a text, send us an email. We'd love to hear about it, and we'll cover it in a future episode. Thank you very, very much for listening. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard or you want more info, please give us a call at 805-404-1167. Again, that's 805-404-1167 or send an email to sold at powellfindhomes.com. If you're ready to move on with your life in Los Angeles or Ventura counties, call us even quicker. The team at Powell Fine Homes are your real estate experts and who you hire matters. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, and on Instagram every day, and you'll love the results that our proven systems and model deliver for you. Call, email, or DM us today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening.